2: Today, we're going to be talking about the American education system. The indoctrination system is really what it is. And we're going to be talking with uh, several people who are very, very knowledgeable on this subject. Uh, Lynn Davenport, I met her, uh, oh, I don't know, about two or three weeks ago in an event here in the Tucson area. And she is a lady from Dallas, Texas who has been working with the the Texas legislature. She's uh, ran ran for state regent uh, in uh, the state of Texas. She's very involved in the education programs around the state of Texas. And as a result, she's gotten to be very knowledgeable about education nationally and internationally. And uh, toward the end of the program, we're gonna be joined by Alex Newman, who is traveling right now, but he's going to get on with this uh, toward the end of the program. And um, he is going to be visiting with Lynn. I want to make that introduction because Len, uh, you're a very, very special spokesman for education. And I know that you have been uh, kind of, uh, uh, I guess I would call it uh, internet buddies with uh, Alex Newman. I've worked with Alex a little bit. Uh, via social media, and um, he's an incredibly bright young man. Actually, he's almost my stepson. Uh, I absolutely love the young man, and his uh, his little boys are like grandchildren to me. I he's been to my ranch in Montana with his wife Tina, and I'm telling you what. Well, What a marvelous young man he is. But anyway, I I don't want to get into that too early. But uh, Lynn, I, I was so excited to hear your program because just regular people around this country are starting to realize just exactly how far off the rails the american education system is and it's turned into really a marxist indoctrination center and uh we we've known about the the uh frankfurt school at uh, columbia university we've known about all these programs that are going on throughout the country in the teachers colleges and the curriculums that they're teaching but now it's to the point where this woke crt Uh, transgender crap that they're teaching in the classrooms is so far off the rail that even the most, I guess what I would call the most accepting parents are starting to realize just exactly how troubling this whole process has been. And uh, so anyway, with that said, uh, uh, Lynn, welcome to the program. Again, you are from the Dallas, Texas area, and maybe give our listeners a little bit of information on the different programs you've been working on.
3: Yes, um, so I'm from Dallas and uh, was born in Shreveport, but have lived in Dallas my whole life. Uh, How's the sound here? is it good, good? Is that okay? Okay. Yep. Uh, well, I had to find a quiet room in the state capitol because I've, there are all these bills. That's why I had to cancel with you last week. And there mm-hmm. are more bills this week. So, um, but, uh, happy to be here, but I, so I got involved in the education space because I have three kids who went through the public schools. And uh, so even though I live in Dallas, uh, they're zoned for Richardson ISD. And I started seeing a shift away from academic knowledge into the behavioral, into uh, more of a focus on testing, and uh, and when I say the behavioral, I mean attitudes, values, beliefs, behaviors, shifting towards tapping into their their feelings and emotions. And so I was researching social and emotional learning a long time ago. Uh, it wasn't until the pandemic hit that parents really started to wake up. So I was kind of an outlier and kind of a, a lone wolf in my uh, district talking about this. And I had followed the research of Alice Linehan, and she's an education researcher. And um, she was telling me what was happening in the schools. And I just, I thought, you know, I'm seeing the same thing. So uh, I started going down the deep dives and rabbit holes, and seeing who was funding this, where the, where it was coming from, what bad bills brought it, and um, and just became an activist uh, within the last decade.
2: A decade is quite a while in in the freedom movement. Uh, I I got my first epiphany when I was 13 years old when John Kennedy was killed. Uh, oh, and that yeah. kind of started me down the rabbit hole. So I've been there quite a long time. I've uh, never reached the bottom of it, though. That's the amazing part. Uh, one it? thing about the rabbit holes that the the bad people have dug, they literally go, go forever. They never end. So uh, <laughs> with that said, Talk a little bit. I know this is an important part of what you're doing. You Mm -hmm. are working with the state legislature. You work on various education bills in the state of Texas. And there's a lot going on. Uh, First of all, what do you think about what's happening to Texas? I've I've seen them try to um, liberalize the state for the last 10 years. And the fact that you've had some really, really bad actors in the state of Texas. You've got some of the best, but you've got some of the worst in the same state. Uh, Talk a little bit about the political climate, if you will, in Texas and why you're so involved now.
3: Well, I mean, when you think of Texas, you think of freedom and don't tread on me, and we're independent and we're conservative, we're red, we've got a Republican-controlled legislature, but there are a lot of misconceptions about that because we have... because we do have a Republican governor, but in in his um, actual behavior, I would say, and what he really does, he has appointed a Democrat um, to the education um he, well four boards and commissions with education. He's also appointed a Marxist for the Texas Education Agency and um, and I don't deal too much in the isms because what I'm seeing is more technocracy and I know you and I saw the the talk from Patrick Wood at the conference where we went in Arizona. Um, so all of the isms will be folded into this, technical um, or technology, kind of a surveillance state that's being built around us. So communism, socialism, Marxism, I don't talk too much about that because the overarching threat is so much bigger than that. And the the full spectrum dominance over us will come through technology and all the isms will kind of fall away. Um, But it's not that those things aren't aren't there. There are traces of those things happening. But in Texas, there's kind of this mythology with the governor. And we found that he is a globalist, that he has gone to the world economic forum twice. He's flown there to Davos. And um, so his His actions don't necessarily mirror his words, but the red meat Republicans will take the bait. He sends out the emails and says, Hey, I'm fighting the, you know, the border crisis, or I'm fighting this CRT in the schools, but we're finding that it's coming in through the the CRT really um, is not something that I studied until it came into the uh, public uh, lexicon, I guess. Uh, but I saw what it looked like through social emotional learning. So I didn't know what CRT was, but I knew the focus on equity through technology, through social and emotional learning in the the schools that I was familiar with. And so they passed a bill in Texas. Oh, CRT is illegal, but it's an empty platitude because all of the technology and the devices um, there's nothing really standing between that child and the technology. And so those um, ideologies are coming in through the technology. So it's an empty platitude to say, we got rid of CRT in Texas.
2: Well, that happens all over the tree. And I, uh, <clears throat> my, my home is in Montana. And we keep always, you know, we hear about, oh, Montana's a good conservative state. We have the same problem because there's an awful lot of Republicans that um, I refer to them as Democans and Republicrats, because it's kind of interchangeable. And in Montana, there's about, you know, usually anywhere from 15 to 20 Republicans in the legislature that are full-blown socialists. And the only reason they get uh, into the legislature because they run on the R ticket. And most of the people in Montana don't pay nearly enough attention to how they actually vote. Uh, but when you've got a choice between a Democrat and a Republican, they'll vote for the Republican, even if the Republican is actually a Democrat. And I, I've noticed the same kind of thing in uh, Texas.
3: Yes. And all they have to do is say that they're pro-life as long as they say they're pro-life, they can get away with murder everywhere because it doesn't matter. They, They just have to say that, that they stand for life. And then people will vote for them. No questions asked. And there are major issues with their decisions in other areas, but Hey, they stand for life. Well, that's a very important issue. Um, uh, but you know, when we're talking about harm to life at other levels, then we're seeing that in the classroom. And we have a, we have major issues with bad bills that have come through. We have more than seven thousand bills in our in the legislature, and more than half of those are education, which tells you that our kids are a target. That education is a major um, it's it's predatory ground, and a lot of the bad bills come from the conservatives through technology and other things like. Um, character traits—they're scoring government character traits that came through a bill uh, where it's mandated in our standards to teach and score children's behaviors. So it's not academic.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen that all over the country. Um, I'm gonna—I'm gonna make it a point to introduce you to a bunch of people in the education. Um, really, in that business, uh, I've uh, I've learned that that's the best way I can connect dots uh, in doing my programs is connecting people because it's amazing how many resources are out. And uh, there's a lady that was on not long ago talking about education in the uh, Minnesota area. Her name is Julie Quist. and her husband wrote a book, her husband was a a state senator, he's a professor, uh, conservative one no less, which is really odd in Minnesota. But uh, he wrote Mm -hmm. a book called Fed Ed, and it was about how the federal mandates were destroying public education. And um, I'm I'm gonna try to make that connection because I think uh, we did a whole program on social emotional learning. People don't understand the concept of social-emotional learning. Talk a little bit, if you would, please, about how social-emotional learning has replaced what we call classic, classical liberal education.
3: Sure. Um, so, yes, that is a huge problem, and I would love for you to connect me with him because Fed Ed, the federal intrusion in education is something I've been following, and um, it's unconstitutional. There's no constitutional justification for the federal Department of Education to even exist, much less impose all the bills on us. And then through federal legislation, so under Obama, there was Every Student Succeeds Act, and the that has embedded in it uh, a fifth indicator, which is tapping into the social emotional skills, testing attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors, and um, dangling those incentive carrots for states and districts to comply. Uh, so yes, that is a major issue. And I will say um, social emotional learning for those who are not familiar, that is um, the idea and it comes from a framework from CASEL, C-A-S-E-L, and that is collaborative, Collaborative for Academic and Social Emotional Learning. And you'll see Tim Shriver of the Kennedy family. He is a major champion for castle and social emotional learning so if you Google Castle um, it's kind of like the shadowy framework behind most districts push for social emotional learning so that each district can call it whatever they want so it's difficult to track this but Castle is the sort of it undergirds most social and emotional learning agendas and so if you go to um, their website they have all kinds of um, language about diversity, equity, and inclusion, the DEI language, subtle CRT. But um, more importantly, uh, it's about capturing that social-emotional data on a child. They are building dossiers on children in Texas as well as nationwide, and they're collecting massive amounts of data on the students, their behaviors uh, through predictive analytics artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, using devices. So parents are thinking, I think, uh, in terms when they hear about the social emotional learning uh, agenda, they're thinking, oh, well, that makes sense. Of course, you know, you'd want to address the social emotional needs of children. Teachers have done that since the beginning of time. That's not what this is. So we would, I would advocate for teachers doing that because they've always done that. It's a deeply human um career. Right. But, um, social emotional learning is a different thing. That is, um, it is an agenda. It is part of the indoctrination happening in the schools, but I want to take people a little step further that it's not just about indoctrinating and turning them into little Marxists or socialists or activists. It's actually something much bigger that feeds into this. Um, you know, you've heard of digital twinning. I think it was talked about quite a bit at the, uh, or it was touched on at that conference where we attended, but everyone will have their virtual and their real, um, beh- well, it's sort of like a, a mirror of themselves uh, digitally. And you've heard of avatars and digital Mm twinning. So it's kind of like that happening in the schools. Now, all of this data in Texas, for one, uh, we've mined more student data than any other state, and because the social and emotional learning agenda is so massive, there are surveys and questionnaires and all kinds of invasive things happening with the students. And so we're advocating for people to reject those and to say no to those. Reject all survey surveys because it makes Swiss cheese of that data. They can't they can't track them longitudinally if they don't have those digital. Uh, surveys and those um, technologies that collect information, like you'll see apps where they'll say, "How are you feeling today?" and you click on your emoji of how you're feeling, and it will it asks invasive questions about the family and the home life, and those things are um, you know part of their permanent record, and oftentimes, which I talked to the co- about at the conference, they are stored on blockchain, and there's a company called Greenlight Credentials that is being scaled statewide in Texas. Tech- and potentially nationwide, and that collects the mental health, the vaccine, the academic data, their credentials, like all of that will be on these blockchain wallets, which will eventually tie into digital currency and the gig economy that's being um, forced upon us. So I don't know, that was kind of a lot, but uh, it no, is connected. That's yeah. Excellent. It is
2: connected and uh, people don't have any idea how these questionnaires are really designed to destroy the family. They're not meant to bolster the family. They're meant to destroy the family because children are asked to report on behavior by their parents. Uh, Now they're doing this uh, so-called green IQ uh, to find out how their parents recycle And if they burn too much fuel, and if they try, you know, they spend too much time driving around, or uh, I mean, there's a whole list of things that are, uh, and and top of the list, of course, is uh, whether you have a firearm in Mm -hmm. the home. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the most invasive stuff you can imagine. And uh, this is part of that social emotional learning program because. We've replaced academics with uh, attitudes and feelings and desires and all these things that won't get you a job. They won't uh, give you a career, but they'll certainly be a great way to control you as you're an adult. Because you're right, these, these avatars that they're building are to basically replace us. When the technocracy is fully implemented, these avatars under AI are meant to replace human beings. It's just people don't get it. I mean, they you know you you're talking about it, but people in general don't get it. We are replaceable as far as the the globalists are concerned, and the best way to do that is learn every single thing you can about humanity and families and everything else. And then you can use the avatar to rebuild that personality. Now, mm-hmm. that, that, that was a, a lot to talk about too, but I know that's right at the center of what you're talking about. So uh, please uh, keep, keep going. You're, you're really showing people a good rabbit hole to go down.
3: Yeah. And right now, a lot of times, um, most people go where the noise is and the noise right now in Texas is books and critical race theory, um, sex ed. And I'm not saying that those aren't important things because first and foremost, you have to protect your own children. You know, we draw circles around ourselves and then, uh, you know, pay attention to what your kids are, are learning. But then secondly, I think, um, you know, it's important for me because my child, mine are all graduated. My last one graduated from high school in the spring. And, but it's still, I know all of this and I want to help parents to see, and you hear a lot about parent empowerment and these bills for vouchers and, and school choice and education savings account accounts, um, real parent empowerment doesn't come from the government. So I think that's an important distinction. Uh, our rights come from God. And so the, These bills are quite dangerous when they talk about parent empowerment, but real parent empowerment also is paying attention to what's happening to your kids. Um, And so uh, I guess it's when I say, you know, where the noise is, that's a distraction often and people can't see what's really coming in. And so in this future, in this technocratic future, this global game that we're being uh, nudged to play is that... There won't be books in this world. They will. It will be all virtual learning on a playlist, kind of like iTunes. Um, and, and so the child will be fed what they're interested in. So it it, um, it learns the child, and it's called personalized learning. That's um, and we have a a school in Dallas ISD called. Uh, it's a metaverse campus and it's basically a school within a video game. And the child will will be given they, they have their avatar three days a week and then they're in the physical building two days a week. And so it's normalizing this gamification of education. So yes, the book issue, I say, you know, obviously you'd want to address that there's a nasty book in your library, but what I'm saying is that we won't have libraries very soon very, very soon. So if we're not talking about both issues, then it's kind of a moot point to go after the books. Um, and then the sex ed, I, I have no issue. I mean, I, I, um, researched what my kids were learning, but they're you know older. So that's not really in my line of sight, but I do know that the sex ed and the school health advisory committees, and all of those are stacked to bring in a lot of really nasty, uh, programs that are, uh, that do, um, stand as a wedge between the family and the child, in um, the school really, um, they, they, they've just not the schools haven't done a good job of vetting these programs and things. Uh, so it's not, um, a futile e- f- effort, but people still need to understand that there's so much more going on with the, the technology. And so we're arguing in Texas, I'm with an organization called families engaged FamiliesEngaged.org, And so we train parents on how to do grievances. We train them on how to file public information requests, how to, um, expose what's happening in in the schools. And when we talk a lot about the technology, because we're trying to get a bill through, uh, we have two bills to get rid of the technology, just just eliminate the technology in the, the younger grades, because we have so much evidence that shows it's actually harming the kids. And it's, um, it's also not moving the new the needle because our more than half of our kids don't don't read on grade level and texas is in the bottom quartile for performance so we're really struggling texas has a really um bad history in education and we've had a lot of uh reformers come out of texas like george bush you know um Uh, With no child left behind, that that was a federal bill that really set us up for this test and punish culture that narrows the curriculum, and um, and it really reduces the children to it's the schools are all about the testing now and accountability system. It's very sad.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, and standardized testing, which uh, frankly, no two kids should be considered. Uh, absolutely alike. And when you get into standardized testing, for the Mm -hmm. most part, what it does is it lowers the bar of education in general. Uh, And that's what they've intended to do. Now, a lot of people don't understand how deeply the Chinese are behind so many of these programs because, frankly, the Chinese are are teaching classical uh, math uh, history, science, they're teaching their kids in their school system, and the quicker they dumb down our school system, the more competitive their people are. And, the, you know, that's, that's the tragedy, is that the United States has gone from the number one uh, most uh, inventive and uh, uh, industrious society in the world to now being really about third or fourth or fifth place in that uh, field, and that's one of the problems with a standardized testing type of uh, procedure. Talk about uh, some of the other bills in Texas, because you mentioned the fact that there's uh, 7,000 bills Mm -hmm. in the legislature, and roughly half of them are in education. Uh, boy, that's a lot of a lot of stuff to have to deal with. Uh,
3: it is talk about
2: how the technology has become such a big part of this.
3: Well, um, so I'm going to share the the screen here if this works. Uh, see if it'll it'll go.
2: Yeah, I know you you had a PowerPoint program. That, mm-hmm. uh,
3: yes. So yeah. let me see. Can you see this?
2: Yes, absolutely.
3: Okay. Well, so we we have this bill that is right now it's House Bill 1605. And this one is kind of a um let me see, we go back here, or actually it's this way. So the bill is we call it the Amplify bill because Amplify is a technology software company funded and uh, backed by Steve Powell uh, or Steve um jobs. Uh, widow, Lorena Powell jobs. And okay. So, Here it is. Okay, the the bill essentially would shift resources away from textbooks to devices. And so I went before the legislature last week, and then there's a sister bill that I'll be testifying against uh, uh, tomorrow. Anyway, this representative, he's a an Aggie, and he puts this bill before the legislature, and he argued with me. He's like, "Where do where do you say that? Where are you seeing that this is a technology bill?" Well, I don't think he realized that that's what they were they were encouraging him to, to do through this bill, but he didn't write it. Somebody else wrote it for him. And I think it was the commissioner of education, but anyway, it's a, it's a, it's about digital curriculum and it's scripted lessons for the teachers. And they'll say, Oh, well, the teachers, you know, they don't have enough time to develop these lesson plans. Well, that's because they're doing so much in the way of testing and, and all the nonsense that they're forced to do through social emotional surveys. And and everything else that's not what they signed up to do as a teacher. And th- they're taking away the thing that they actually love, which is the creative process and developing the lesson plans. And th- that's what they're professionals um, trained to do. And, and so it's a it's a Trojan horse to bring in this technology. Well, this company, uh, it has Margaret Spellings on the board, Amplify. And Margaret Spellings was George Bush's education uh, secretary, when he was president, uh, and and the bill talks about open education resources. That's throughout the bill. There's probably 50 times I, I don't, you can probably barely see this, but where it's highlighted in yellow. And this is the House member who who brought the bill. And um, like I said, he's a conservative. He's an Aggie, and um, he should know better. His wife is a, a an administrator in their district in Colleen Texas, near Fort Hood. So we're fighting this, um, and the bill, um, when you look at the department of education, it talks about open educational resources quite often. Um, it deals in equity. They'll use equity as the, the Mm -hmm. reason for doing this. It'll bring equity. And technology is often used as, um, uh, as a vehicle to bring more equity, but I would argue, and this is what I argued at the legislature is that actually children in poverty, that's the last thing they need is to be stuck on a device, exactly. you know, and, and if they're, and, and if you think about, it, there's really not the dig, digital divide that they talk about, that's kind of a myth is that actually children in poverty are they do have access to devices school issued devices and p- parent issued devices and video games and so if they're not in safe neighborhoods they're not going out and playing in the sunshine and you know out in the open and having a, a more organic childhood like children in affluent neighborhoods can, because they're they're safer and if parents are working, they don't feel like their kids can go out and play, they'll stay inside and what do they do? They get on screens, TV, video games, their phone apps and all of those things, highly addictive. So there is a myth about the digital divide And they're using that digital divide as a means to bring in more broadband access, more technology. Uh, Texas is very vast. As you know, it's a large state. And they're trying to get all of these rural areas fully equipped and the infrastructure laid for the broadband. And AT&T is a big lobbyist here at the Capitol. Um, But they talk about it being about access, giving children access, but really it's about accessing all children and accessing all people. And so this smart city technology is being developed all around the cities and the rural communities because the end goal is complete, uh, you know, full spectrum dominance as, um, as uh, Elena, or uh, Alana Freeland talked about at that conference. I follow her work closely, um, not in education, but in um, geoengineering and geofencing and what's happening with the the digital uh, prison being built around us. And so I think that the schools are kind of... Um, you know, it's, it's a, a means to use our tax dollars to lay the groundwork for the smart cities, a lot of that. And, and you mentioned China, and I, I will say that China is, um, is, is definitely a threat, but the overarching threat, it seems like um, it's the locals who are really building these the, the, you know, the Chinese social credit score we hear about, well, it's, it's my local, uh, county judge. It's my local school board. It's my city council. They're the ones implementing all of the social credit, um, these systems around us. Dallas actually has, um, equity scoring. And, um, so we are scoring, I mean, the city is scoring, Us, we rate ourselves and and, uh, score ourselves, but it's uh, equity scoring. Well, you know that to me is you. you, you, I'm sure you've talked about ESG ratings and corporations going through the environmental, social, and governance scoring. Uh, That is all lining us up for this. Um, I mean, it really is like a a world game that we're being forced to play.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Michael Dabari, our our uh, host prior to me, uh, asked if he could uh, ask
4: you a question. Then, sure. Let him do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Hi. Hi,
4: Mr. Davenport. God bless you for your work. I oh, think thank it's you. The most important of all things is to the children. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, it starts and it ends with them. And thank you yeah. for that. I, in my work, I have the occasion to talk to a ton of educators. Uh, In this past weekend, they even had a um, a professor's convention in town, so I got to speak to a few of them. Uh, What I run across a lot, and we will give you an example, is one man, 25 years professor at a very prestigious Northern College, I don't want to mention the names, I don't want to get him in trouble. Mm-hmm. Because he is, he teaches American history. He's second in in command at the at the school, mm-hmm. and yet he's afraid to speak his mind because it's he's surrounded by the communists, the Marxists there. Uh, is there a place that teachers I could direct them to, or is there a place that they can go to? To What can they do? What can the educators that I'm running out to out there in the street that I'm mm-hmm. talking to that I know they're the good teachers are trying to work around the curriculums to get to still be able to do their job? Yeah. But, Is there some place they can go or something they can do that I can help them with, uh, maybe give them a a heads up on things?
3: That's a great question because I'm seeing that. I ran for a seat on the Dallas College Board last spring. I I lost in that race to a Democrat, um, got in the runoff, but lost to her. And um, I was seeing that culture of fear and that uh, censoring, or censorship kind of culture at the at the community college level. We see it at the higher education level. We see it in the schools where they it's a and I also ran for school board in 2017 in my district. And that was part of my platform is to eliminate that culture of fear. So the teachers could feel like or could have a voice to be able to express their concerns about this, especially we were losing great teachers, seasoned teachers. Our attrition rate was about 20%, one of the highest in the Metroplex or the region. And, um, but now we're seeing a mass exodus all across the board of teachers leaving because they don't feel supported. They're not able to do why they do what they got into teaching to do. And um, so there, I I will say um, there are alternative teacher organizations that, um, you know, like in Texas, there's one called innovative teachers of Texas. Uh, but I will say that, um, even the, 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 the local AFT here, they're really, uh, even though they're, they're left leaning far left, cause I don't, I don't have, want anything to do with the national AFT and Randy Weingarten, but here in Texas, we do have a teacher's organization um, with the Texas AFT, and they're starting to see all of this, um, the issues with the technology replacing the teacher, the data mining, the data harvesting, the um, lack. I mean, they really do defend teachers. They do not They don't want bad teachers either. They want to get rid of the bad teachers because it makes them look bad. So I'm finding at the local level, sometimes we lock arms with those and they're on the left, but they're they want teachers to have that um freedom to teach the way that they were taught you know and the way that they know is best for the children so it's it's kind of an interesting um climate we're in right now because we're starting to see um the, you know, them come more towards the center and not be so they they're realizing they're getting a lot of flack for being so radical through the pandemic, because I used to go to the the legislature and sometimes I would, like I said, lock arms with the teachers unions because they were fighting for the same thing I was because some of these bills are just awful because what's bad for teachers is bad for students. So you think about that. And um, and and you know, with my kids, I had two two of their best teachers were, I know that they're liberal, just personally, but in the classroom, they never brought that stuff into the classroom. They they taught, she taught government and the constitution and all the things that she was supposed to do. She stuck to the standards. Um, but you know, I follow her on Facebook, so I know she's left-leaning. But so I, you know, we need that. We need the teachers. People can be wherever they want to be, but they need to keep the classroom, uh, neutral ground on that. I, my teachers never brought their politics into the classroom. Uh, but you know, I, as far as, um, there is due process for teachers, uh, they, they do have, um, I, I will say, I think that you're seeing more teachers start to connect with each other and advocate. And so there's strength in numbers and that's what they're doing in Texas with innovative teachers of Texas, because they know that, um, these agendas are not good for teachers. They're not good for kids. So I, I don't know if that's helpful. But other, I mean, I don't know if there's a national, um, if there's any national recourse. I think it's all so much local.
4: I'm, I think I'm also finding, uh, seeing teachers like the ones you good ones you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Not so much quitting as they're they're going to they're tutoring and they're doing uh, alternative schools.
3: Um, mm-hmm. do We're seeing that.
4: Yeah, I've seen a guy there recently. There was a, a gentleman, uh, an activist, he bought an abandoned um, shopping mall and turned it into a school and a medical center. And I'm seeing the same thing kind of happen with medical professionals getting chased out of the medical because the same thing's happened, quasi, mm-hmm. with the medical system that's happening with the education system. And people are leaving the, you know, the, mindset the industrial complex uh educational system industrial complex medical system mm-hmm. and I think possibly teachers going in uh, opening up their own schools getting together doing mm-hmm. that I, uh, yeah. I again we're all searching for these answers and I, and I think that uh, sometimes working trying to, sometimes working with the system that's become corrupted to try to uncorrupt it might be just to leave it alone and start another school somewhere might be the best idea too.
3: Yeah. And I, I think, uh, you know, I do, and I, I encourage parents if their children are not safe, pull them out and figure it out and you can just piecemeal their education together. Some homeschooling here, maybe a co-op there, maybe, uh, tutors where you need it. I think we're living in different times. So education looks differently than it did for us when we were kids. Um, and, And uh, I caution people if they're homeschooling not to do, the not to do too much online because I think those programs are the same thing that I'm warning against in the public schools. Mm -hmm. But there are you know here and there you can do digital things um, you know if you wanted to do a maybe math facts or something like that. But for the most part, children um, they learn better just paper pencil. Great teachers and with the money that we save on technology, then we can. We could afford to pay great teachers and if they're not great we could train them to be great and and pour into them and develop them with the with the right kind of professional development because that's where a lot of the indoctrination comes in and the they they get rewarded for early buy-in for these experimental technologies and learning theories so um we're, we're trying to eliminate that and that's the message that i would send across texas locally and then even nationally, if we could all get behind this idea that we just trash the devices, get rid of them. It's what's driving up our debt that we pay for those technology devices in debt services through our bonds and our property taxes. So I would say that's part of the reason why we can't afford to stay in our homes. And people are, um, there's a major housing crisis that that contributes contributes to it for, because of the exorbitant debt being floated in our local districts. Y'all
2: can come. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
3: Well, I'm in a, uh, a museum room and people are touring. Y'all can come in. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, Michael and Lynn both. One of the things, and I think this is a positive is that they have pushed this agenda so far that people are starting to wake up to the reality. And we're seeing teachers, um, a friend of mine, uh, <laughs> Michael Rechtenwald, he, he was a Marxist professor at NYU. And uh, they push the program so far that even the people on the other side are starting to say, wait a minute, this has gone over the edge, this has gone over the top, we've gotta back away from this. And as it turned out, uh, Michaels ended up being one of the, probably one of the best libertarians in the country and wrote a book called Google Archipelago about how the social uh, credit system was designed for China by Google and it was designed to implement all over the world, and uh, th- this is a fascinating discussion because what we're what we're seeing now is that they have gone so far over the top that uh, even people on what I would consider on the left are starting to realize. Uh, we've got to get back to a little bit more normalcy here. And I've got a feeling the pendulum is going to swing way to the opposite side here pretty quickly because that's a natural reaction. But um, anytime you see uh, what is called, I guess, uh, um, equity, you know that you've got a problem because that, the equity is, you know, right out of the socialist programs, mm-hmm. and uh, that's where a lot of these people are buying in. Good people like mm-hmm. this representative that you brought up in this bill that you were showing. There's a lot of really good people out there that just don't have a clue how they're getting sucked into this stuff. That mm-hmm. is a big problem too, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I call it faquity because if you look at my particular district, we the way that we spend money is... Um, I would be fine with a more equitable distribution. If you have high poverty campuses, of course you would wanna pour more resources into it. But if you look at their actual spending and the practice, they they do the worst things for the schools that are in poverty. And they put them on devices, like I said, and they don't really have a lot of enriching, um, more balanced um, and more of a liberal arts kind of focus because it is so much about drilling down on that star test on that accountability system, the standardized, the high stakes testing. So I don't have an issue with testing. What I have an issue is with all of the things that are hinging upon those results and the high stakes component. And, you know, we used to fail students or students would pass or fail, now it's schools. And so we have an A through F rating, which I think is a really messed up thing. Yeah. It's uh, the, the equity thing is just a, it's a tool. I think it's, it's a a tool to, uh, to focus on the wrong things and it's Mm -hmm. working.
2: Yeah, (laughs) they are definitely focusing on the wrong things. And this is the Mm -hmm. people like Thomas Sowell talked about uh, how education in times past, was considered a way for people to that grew up in extreme poverty to get out of extreme poverty. Education mm-hmm. was a key, and and frankly, I was one of those kids. Uh, I grew up in extremely poor uh, family. My father died when I was really young. My mother was manic depressive. We had all mm-hmm. kinds of uh, um, issues, and uh, all I can say is that I, as a result, I ended up doing. Things that you have to do if you're going to take care of yourself, and that was go to work early and do a lot of things. That, um, and and so education for me was a way that I could get away from that, and as a result, I've had a, a marvelous life. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know what you know, according to uh, uh, some people, it was because I was uh white and I was naturally. Uh, had a leg up on anyone of color, which I think is absolute nonsense, Uh, poor is poor. It's just that simple. Poor is poor. And um, you either do the best with it or uh, you let it eat you alive. And what they're doing now is they're uh, taking away the education that's going to get people out of poverty.
3: Right, and education, I, I think you bring up a great point. It's like they're, we're denying them the foundational learning that you and I received. And they're, what they're doing is focusing more on workforce training, which I'm not against, but if you're supplanting the foundation and the most basic academic knowledge, for the workforce training, then when that job is eliminated, they don't have anything to fall back on. I, um, for 12 years, I've worked with unemployed people serving in a ministry at my church for its uh, careers in motion. And what I see, it, there's, I see the, the harm in, uh, you know, someone who's received a very poor education. They, they need a lot of help drafting their resume and communicating and sending emails and things because they get eliminated from jobs if they don't have those basic skills. And so I'm seeing a real push for whatever the corporations want in the schools and the career technical education, rather than actual academic knowledge and learning how to communicate, um, and, and, and having those good, solid reading skills and math skills, just basic math skills. They're not getting, uh, and, and I think that's a a real, real problem. And they have all these STEM programs, science, technology, engineering, and math, but they're, they're very shallow and they're really just gimmick programmatic gimmickry. If we really wanted to produce great STEM workers, then we would have a more well-rounded academic focus. And so the best scientists are not just, you know, narrow in that area, they have to be able to communicate their findings. And you you have a more creative mind when you develop it um, in different ways. And so music and arts and all of those things play into it. I like it like this is an analogy I have. So you say you had a you know 10 year old who had a great arm a pitcher. And you keep putting that kid in the the pitchers mound and they, they start every time Well, you wear out that 10 year old's arm and then they're no good when they're 18 and they want to be drafted. Right. Um, it's, it's kind of the same thing. If you put a child, you, you narrowly, you put them in this STEM focus without developing the rest of them, then they're really not going to be the kind of scientist that we would want in the STEM field. And so the STEM crisis is actually being manufactured through STEM programs, which is, you know, ironic. Mm-hmm. did yeah, you have yeah. another question michael i'm sorry i saw your hand was up
4: well i just wanted to do uh one more thing here uh that on a positive note and, and it's something dan mentioned the hubris always kills them they always go too far that's mm-hmm. that's what hurts them the most but on a positive mm-hmm. note here i also have an opportunity to, especially during spring break recently there were just tons mm-hmm. of students on the street what I've noticed, and this is sort of like a psychological thing, a sociological thing. Like when I was growing up, of course, where things were very conservative. So it was natural to rebel against that. And, you know, go into that liberalism, right? oh, yeah. right. And I go to the Churchill, uh, when you're young and you're not uh, a liberal, you don't have a heart. And if, as you grow older, if you don't have a, if you're not a conservative, you don't have a brain. But what I'm finding out with the kids on the street right now seem to be rebelling against the liberalism that it's being forced down their throats. And I'm running into tons of young people. And I'm talking about from 12 to 18 to 20. or so, they, you know, like I have that ring displayed, all this, you know, that let's go Brandon flag and. I would say the vast majority, I say vast majority of them, come by, give me the thumbs up, go, let's go, Brandon, and come (laughs) by. And I have met some really fabulous young people that are rebelling against the liberalism that's being pushed on them in the schools. So that, I think, is kind of a good thing, you know, that again, the hubris is like backfiring and the kids through their natural progression of want to rebel against what they've been brought into but becoming more conservative
3: well there is mm-hmm. definitely a, a a hive mind that's that's happening and we're seeing in in the schools we see it with the technology and the tiktok videos and instagram it, it's definitely uh, uh it's it, it's heavy on the kids and and um, so I would say my youngest, I think he was the most aware of it because he was in high school during the lockdowns and the masks and all the crazy things going on in social media and what the schools were telling him. And he really, uh, he, he's a very wise child and it's not that my others aren't wise it's just they weren't as big of a victim they weren't as much a victim because they were in college and they had a little more freedom even though you know they still had to wear a mask but it was for one class and then they could take it off and walk to the other class so they had breaks but eight hours in a public school it was neurotic and my and he had to actually log in the youngest had to log in uh, well, you know, they're wearing masks. He can't hear his teacher because she's wearing a mask up at the front of the class. So he would log in virtually mm-hmm. so he could hear her physically. <laughs> so stupid. Like some of them will wear two masks. And, um, but he, uh, he really, he saw how the propaganda, he saw the propaganda through the pandemic. He saw it in the schools and that really awakened it, it him, uh, awakened him him to, to be able to see when he's being played. And so, yeah, I think there is a a backlash on that. They, they, uh, and, and granted now he is my child, so he's going to question everything. And sometimes that's hard to have three children who question everything because they see me question everything. But in the end, you do want your children to be able to, to think for themselves and to make their own decisions. And sometimes they, you know, don't, um, yeah, they don't necessarily heed our warnings, and they might think that some of these progressive ideas are um, make sense. But it, you know, they're they're being bombarded with this messaging, so it is difficult to navigate the world uh, with all of these narratives.
4: Well, it's a it's a it's a natural growing that learning process. But thank God they got that. you to set them straight Close because me. you know that's what your that's, you that's your job. Right, another positive thing I saw silver lining with the COVID was that when the kids did go home and the parents could see what they were being taught, mm-hmm. it yeah. really woke a lot of your parents up They said, they're teaching you what? Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of helped also because that, that's another boomerang effect. You mm-hmm. know, they tried to go ahead and, and shut us down. But at the same time, when they did that, Parents got to see what was being taught. So right.
3: yes, that, that was the silver them. lining for sure. I, I I I've seen that, and and that's helped us grow with families engaged. It's helped us um, grow our our base of parents who are waking up, and they saw what that their kids weren't learning, or they saw what they were learning that was not in line with their values, and it really clued them into wow, we've got a problem. I have one uh, friend, her she is. Five or six kids, but she realized her top students, her children weren't reading on grade level, and they're A students, honor students. So you, it, it really did wake the parents up. We were kind of on autopilot. We had way too much faith in uh, the system, and yeah, so we're challenging now. They they try to draw to to drive a wedge between us. I know in my school district they were forcing us to sit in the back, segregated, masked versus not masked and you know it was a crazy thing and in our in the national association of school boards called parents who were involved you know domestic terrorists all of those culture we have a lot of um <laughs> cultural wars culture wars that are going on and that keeps us the polarization going and i think that polarization is necessary I, i'm sure you study the hegelian dialectic both of you and so that is so that's why i say I'm careful to not follow the noise because some of that is intentional to keep us divided. It's not that we don't call out bad things and call evil, evil. Uh, but if it's, I, there's, there are things i I can see they're being thrown out there in the public debate on purpose to distract us from what's really happening or it, it moves us into that next, um, stage in this, um, this game that, we're being mm-hmm. forced into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's, well, it's tough.
2: Lynn and and also Michael, this is the, this is a great thing to be talking about because they have gone too far. There's no question about it. We see in our whole country now a movement to uh, try to normalize things back to a level where it isn't just this insanity. And the schools are a perfect example because right now, according to the statistics I've seen, the schools are losing a, a big percentage of their kids. Are now going to homeschool or to mm-hmm. private institutions, and we're talking um, the the numbers that I saw right after the COVID lockdowns and all that stuff is that uh, the schools uh, on average around the country had lost somewhere close to 10 percent of their student population and you know those kids some of them i i say tragically some of them are going to just you know the parents don't care and they're just going to let them be stupid but Mm -hmm. uh i would say the lion's share of those kids are are because parents are tuned in and they're gonna say, okay, let's do homeschooling, let's try this. And Lynn, you mentioned the homeschooling thing, but there's a lot of uh, good remote learning opportunities in homeschooling by groups like uh, Alex Newman and uh, Dr. Duke Pesta. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of these things available and, you know, if you got one of those, it, it's pretty cool because one guy can teach unlimited amount of students on, uh, on the internet with that kind of a program. So there are opportunities out there is my point.
3: Yes. And I've met Duke Pesta when he was in Dallas, he came to speak and, uh, and he's a great speaker. I'm not familiar with his uh, homeschool curriculum, but I would assume that mm-hmm. that it's uh, top notch. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think the danger there is I, there's part of me thinks that this uh, decline in enrollment is sort of purposeful when it comes to the whole global reset that. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe some of that is intentional to get us to be learning out in the community. And there's something uh, you've probably heard of community schools. We're seeing uh, this disruption in the seat time funding in the schools, and they're trying to make the whole community as part of their their learning process. And so you'll hear of lifelong learner. So you're never um, you're always contend- continuously learning. But um, part of that is for this constant feedback loop to track us where we're learning and what we're doing. And outside they can gather more data outside of the classroom than they can just in that uh, typical environment. So we're seeing uh, some of those trends, which I think are intentional to get kids. uh, um, So it's it's like any time, any place, any path, any place learning. So I'm watching that and, and kind of seeing how that unfolds in these community centers are becoming part of the whole learning ecosystem. And they're shifting funds to those. Uh so my it, it's it it's uh it's a red flag, I I think, to mm-hmm. get it to disrupt the typical traditional school model.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And classical learning and what you're talking about. Uh, job training. That has been a focus for a long time. Uh, Groups like the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation uh, or Trust and others, uh, Bill Gates, have talked for a long time. They don't care about good thinkers. They care about good workers. And and so this is a, a program to try to teach people to know just enough to be able to do their job, but not so much that they cause problems.
3: Yeah, and and that's that limited, um, what what I found is it's the, I was gonna see if I could share this article, split screen here, I'll show you. It was part of that presentation I did last Mm -hmm. night, and um, it's a Naked Capitalism article, which, uh, here it is. So that, that uh, article by Eve Smith how corporations use public school workforce pipelines to harvest students data and train narrowly skilled exploitable staff that is absolutely happening in Dallas ISD Richardson ISD in districts across Texas and at the community college level so i'm i'm seeing visible signs of this very- very clear, concrete examples of them. these corporations, you'll see the chambers of commerce and they're some of the worst about implementing the the new economy, the gig economy. So you don't go to a corporation, plant your roots and work there for a number of years, get benefits. A lot of that is being uh, cast aside for this gig economy and people will have to piece together all these different gig jobs in order to make ends meet. And uh, of course, you know with the increase in inflation, so yeah, this is uh, this is a huge problem. Um, let me see, I've got uh, other, uh, and also, oh, this is something I wanted to share. This data kind is partnering with the Commit Partnership, a nonprofit, and the Texas Education Agency, Strive Together, and Microsoft Azure, and they're doing artificial intelligence, machine learning, and uh, they're taking all these student academic records and they're feeding them into this AI and it's learning the students let's see and I talked about that uh, metaverse campus this is the the founder of of uh, stimuli the school within a video game in Dallas this eyeball follows the child uh, and, and their avatar throughout the day bizarre. <laughs> Uh, I mentioned the global game. <laughs> this is kind of, uh, a, a, an interesting thing that I found. Um, Bucky Fuller, have you heard of him? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fullerene. Sure so, you know, he wanted to build a, a geodesic dome, uh, like a panopticon over Manhattan back in, in his day. And he, uh, coined the term spaceship earth. He was a futurist and uh, had all kinds of plans for world domination and this world game. And I wrote an article, uh, call about Dallas e-sports and bucky balls. And, and we've got the, in our Dallas skyline, we've got that, uh, reunion tower, that geodesic dome. I don't know if you've ever been to Dallas, but, uh, the, this, this game. So, um, now these are just kind of interesting things but my mom gave me this book about the hidden dangers of the rainbow and this was some uh, her co-worker gave it to her in the 80s and it really left an impression on her and she's mentioned it several times uh throughout my upbringing and in the book it had a quote from uh about from Cumbie about Buckminster Fuller it said books by Buckminster Fuller clearly spell out and and an intent to give every world resident a number and require the usage of this number in all financial transactions of any sort, including minor purchases with a universal credit card. Um, you've heard of universal basic income, and now they're talking about universal school choice. Uh, and so I think that we're going to be given currency for schooling by the federal government. Chip Roy has a bill that he's, uh, Putting before uh, the um, for uh, Congress on letting the money follow the child, so I'm I'm watching for these little signs of of what's happening. I think they're they're it's a Trojan horse, but because Mm -hmm. of so much the issues, it doesn't. So they're taking a legitimate issue. The issue is parents don't feel like their kids are either learning or that they're safe in the schools, and so they dangle that carrot of the money. A lot of parents will take it and they don't understand that there will be streams and there will be other, um, issues that come about and it's, it's actually growing government rather than shrinking it. And it's a, it's a, a global plan that is aligned with UNESCO. And I think Alex Newman wrote a really great article that I just have been sharing quite a bit. Um, he was talking about some of the issues with the school choice narrative, um, and for people to, to pay close attention to that.
2: Well, you said something really important earlier in this discussion, and mm-hmm. that is all these isms that we're dealing with right now are only part of the picture. You, you hit that mm-hmm. one spot on because communism, socialism, Marxism, uh, all these different isms are only a tool. The the ultimate goal is a technocratic society that is feudalistic in nature, where a handful of the ultra powerful and rich pretty much own and control everything, and mm-hmm. the rest of us are like feudal serfs. And not only are we like that, but we, because of the avatar and the AI and all the rest, uh, we will not be. Uh, what is considered human will be transhuman, because we will by that time have our uh, uh, chips in our brain. Uh, we will be part machine, uh, so that we don't need all this food and all these things to sustain a body. Uh, I mean, what they've got in mind is so incredibly uh, over the top, and but yet it really is that way, Lynn. And I think you you're kind of getting at that right now is how we've got to ignore all the isms and start realizing what the big picture is.
3: Yeah, I think it's very important that we do that because um, you know, most people don't get into the weeds like you and I do because the, and, and so I think that those isms are, are, are part of the, the tools to keep us divided. And so, when you talk to people from all ends of the spectrum and help them understand what's coming they don't want that it doesn't matter if they're on the left or the right so that that paradigm keeps us divided and neighbor against neighbor uh but yeah i mean what is coming or what is what we're being told is coming is very anti-life and and we don't want that i think most people would not want that and that's why i mentioned you know with the teachers organizations we don't have collective bargaining in texas so that we don't call them unions but they're essentially uh unions uh but the local uh groups and, but they're seeing that this is very much anti-life uh, and they don't want it either. So there are places where we can find common ground and I'm trying to do that. And in fact, today I'm meeting with a legislator who's on the left. I don't agree with her stance on a lot of things, uh, but she is interested in what I know about the data harvesting. And when I testified before the House Public Education Committee hearing last week on that bad bill, that House Bill 1605, the amplify bill, she said, I hear you. What can we, you know, I, I want to learn more about this. And so yeah. I will go to whoever has the eyes and ears to to see and hear. And she sat on a school board. So she saw and she's starting to realize, okay, you're right about the agendas of these vendors and these uh, public-private partnerships, the lobbyists, and those who are feeding off the trough, they're the ones who get invited tes- to testify. We, the public, go at the end of the day, we get three minutes. And and so it's important for us to, there's been kind of this vacuum, and um, it's important for the parents and the people on the ground and the teachers, teachers are teaching, so they can't show up and testify, but it's important for those who, who, um, can be their voice and, and say, we don't want this. We, we say we, we want informed consent, which was the whole purpose of that, of Drew Heaton's uh, conference that she did informed consent at all levels, whether it's medical, whether it's environmental, whether it's educational, we do not consent to these things that are being pushed on us. And we want informed consent. And we want to not necessarily have to opt out of something, you know, tell us what it is, give us, a, a, you know, all the information, then we'll decide if we want to opt in. The, so that these are important things for real parent empowerment and all the, um, you know, the division keeps us from talking about some of these important topics because they don't even you know the media rarely covers this. They like to take that low hanging fruit and the, the, purposeful, you know, um, polarization is, Mm -hmm. is, you know, kind of the easy, easy way out.
2: Well, that's what they do. They focus on our differences Mm -hmm. uh, so that they can kind of create this divisive uh, environment. And you're absolutely right. I I know a lot of uh, people who uh, are liberal, or claimed to be liberal. But mm-hmm. in fact, when you actually sit down and visit with them, they're concerned about many of the same things, same issues that we are. And uh, that's what we've got to focus on. We've got to focus on the common ground. And I, I use this analogy a lot, that uh, conservatives can agree on 80% and disagree on 20% and all they want to do is squabble over the 20% they disagree on, where liberals Mm -hmm. can agree on 20% and uh, disagree on 80%, and they'll focus on the 20% uh, and move that ball forward. And we've just got a problem. It's like Michael said, it's like herding caps. uh, uh, On a previous interview that he did, uh, Mm -hmm. a a couple down in... uh, New Orleans even talking about how it was like herding cats. Try to get conservatives to agree on anything. We've just got to be wise in the way we do this because, you know, the fact is, is that we do have a lot more friends on the left than we realized because not everybody wants to be living under the system that they have planned for
3: no you're exactly right and and i think throughout the pandemic the medical freedom advocates you know those who are largely on the left they started to see oh wow this is there's nothing uh liberal about this this tyranny that's coming in and so they they have come more towards the the middle uh and and there, I think the more important thing is that we do connect with people
1: mm-hmm. and,
3: and find those allies and those who see what's really happening. And we continue to share information and, and meet in person as we can. I think that's important too, is to reject the isolation and being on, um, you know, it, it, I love what we're doing here, but if that's all we do, which I find a lot of people in that whole, um in the whole Patriot movement is, they spend way too much time getting the daily, um, more distant news and not actually showing up locally at your commissioner's court or at your, school board, I mean, the school board meetings, those races have so few voters and that sets your property taxes. That's where the children are being, you know, where all this is happening to our children. So it's, uh, and that's where, like I said, the metaverse and the smart cities, those are all coming in through the local level. They can't do it without the locals uh, voting it in and adopting it and, and accepting it and being trained to, to embrace it.
2: Yeah, you're right. Well, um, you you mentioned castle, and that's an important thing that a lot of people mm-hmm. don't understand. The social emotional learning program that is a uh, absolutely a national program now, and this mm-hmm. is this came out of UNESCO. You mm-hmm. mentioned UNESCO. This is part of this so called global program to train uh, good workers. Um, yep. Talk a little bit, if you would, please, about Castle and how that program is being implemented all over the country now.
3: Well, I just, uh, when I was on the, I, I took a a train, a Von Lane bus, not train, a bus here uh, to Austin, and I was watching this video that was on Rumble, and it was really good. It was a compilation of, um, I think it came out of Florida, but it was, it was um, Glenn Beck talking about social emotional learning, and um, it also was talking about castle. And so, I'll, if I can find that link, I'll, I'll send it to you. But yeah, um, so the the UN Sustainable Development Goals are uh, the fourth one is education, and so there is this global um, brain, almost like a mindset that is being pushed at all levels. And so to get everyone on the same page for this global brain that they're building, uh, that they have to access the children and they have to do it slowly and incrementally. And, and, um, and so it's been, a it's been kind of a slow boil. I mean, this is not new. It's been in our schools for a long time, but it, it even was there when I was in school that we had a a dolphin, a puppet and do so would tell us, you know, how to share and play nice. And it would give these little stories and they'd play the song and we'd all sing it. So I, I saw it. And then even Marlo Thomas, remember free to be you and me. And it was slowly, um, inserting these things into, our our brains (laughs) i'm a 70s kid and i do you remember that all that marlo thomas stuff thomas's wife yeah i had the record my parents didn't know that was you know um indoctrination but so it's been happening for a long time but but now with the pandemic and all the isolation and children sheltered at home and the learning loss all those things have really catapulted this castle agenda into the forefront. And so I do, I do Google alerts and I'm shocked at how many social emotional learning articles I see. The majority are for it and maybe 20% are against it. So I'm starting to see more and more pushback in my Google alerts. I'll see the articles that are uh, arguing against it and they see what it really is and how dangerous it is. So uh, yes, I mean, I, we, we, yes, there was learning loss, but to to use oh they also used the emergency powers to bring in a lot of these social emotional and esser mm-hmm. funds through the federal government and so that brought in all of these these uh non-cognitive programs. But the worst is that they are going to be testing the attitudes, values, beliefs, and behaviors. And that is a complete violation of child privacy. And um, so parents have to push back on that. They have to put it in writing that they do not want this. And if they do find that they've done this to their children, they need to file a grievance immediately within 10 days. And it's important to go through that grievance process, which I wish I had done. I did not know about it. Or I knew about it, but I didn't really know how to do it. And I missed the window. And so now we're training with families engaged. We're training parents how to do that grievance process. It may be a little bit different in Texas than it is for your other listeners, but every district has some sort of grievance process. And I I encourage parents to use the law to fight the lawlessness and push back. Because if we have enough people in that groundswell of, of people pushing up Uh, then you will see real change and, and um, them and, you know, being advocating for them to bring in the time tested models of learning the traditional way that children should that learn best. We know it works because it worked for us. It's not to say that there weren't children who did fall behind or were left behind, but uh, as a nation, we did a pretty darn good job of educating and we're not doing that now. We're in
2: crisis. We are in crisis, and you mentioned something that I think is incredibly important for parents to buy books for your children. Teach your kids how to read, and and not this uh, internet uh, garbage where uh, you know you learn how. I, I don't know the proper term for it. I'm old, uh, but where you know they're texting and syntax and spelling and none of the rest makes any difference. You know, they, they can do whatever. And you read, you read some of this crap and I can't even understand it, but apparently the young people can, but that's not learning uh, the, the language. Communication is a huge deal. And that's the biggest area that they're attacking right now is the ability for people to communicate with one another. Even though we've got a lot of internet stuff out there, look at how many of these kids that just uh, sit around and and text on their uh, device, and they really can't communicate anymore in person.
3: Sorry there was a a tour of uh kids uh, coming through the Capitol. <laughs> it was really loud for a second. Uh but yes, um the communication is a problem because the you know your smartphone does anticipate what you're going to say and it corrects you if you've spelled it uh wrong in you know, mostly. Yeah, it, it this is um this is a problem and this is why I say we've got to go back to the time-tested ways and I love—I actually loved diagramming sentences and I think it was really good. I struggled. I had a, you know, supposedly had a learning disability in school and I was a Ritalin kid in 1979. Luckily, my mother took me off of it because she said, I don't think that's good for you and it changed my personality. I might have been more focused, but it changed my personality. So they said, okay, we're taking her off of this and I struggled all through school, but I know that children with dyslexia they do better when they write in cursive it does something for the brain that is good for all children but especially dyslexic children and they're being denied that so you might have a lesson in cursive and they'll check the box but it's not a, a daily practice and that daily practice when you learn cursive is great for the brain and connecting those dendrites and So that's gone by the wayside and, um, just, you know, the way that children learn with paper and pencil and writing it and seeing it and that fine motor, those are the things that we need to bring back and even just free play. I haven't talked much about pre-K, but there's a huge push for government funded universal pre-K. That's one thing our, our conservative governor is push has been pushing and he did it sessions back. And, um, and that's, um. You know, a whole other can of worms. But we're finding these children in pre-K and these these little you know, babies are being put on devices, and there's they're um, they're being tracked and um, and sort of um, surveilled. Too for their outcomes. And in this outcomes-based education model is getting them younger and younger and getting them addicted to screens and technology and pushing them into a system that is, you know, it's, it's just not good for kids to, they need to be doing a lot of free play at those ages, those younger ages. And so we're really trying to, to kind of bring back the old school ways of, of letting kids just play.
2: Well, you know, you you said something that's really important, and that is that um, the young the young kids that they're dealing with now, the pre-K, um, this is part of a much bigger program to get parents <laughs> out of the process, the socialization of parents. This is a big deal. Parents need to get more. Involved now in their children's lives, people need to reconnect, mm-hmm. uh, and that's exactly what the last ten or twenty years has done. Is kind of removed the parent from their traditional role, and uh, as Hillary Clinton referred to, as uh, it takes a village. village. Um mm-hmm. you know what she's ta- What she was talking about is basically government uh, stepping in and taking over the role that parents were supposed to have. And that's a big deal because parenting in, uh, you know, thought everything that's going on right now, parenting is a, a biggest part of the, the biggest piece to the puzzle is good parenting right now, I think, isn't it?
3: Absolutely. And it is frustrating that the school districts don't talk about that. They you know the parent is the first teacher of a child. And the I I noticed this even twenty years ago when I started my kids in the public schools is that they really wanted to keep us at arm's length. Now I know that there are helicopter parents and you do have to set boundaries. The schools have to deal with all kinds of neurotic parents and uh, you know the, the, that kind of hovercraft mom that wants to be there at every for everything mm-hmm. and peeking inside the classroom now i mean you have to set boundaries for that but for the but they really need to partner with the parents better and and keep the parents uh engaged and 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 here's like we're fighting taxpayer funded lobbying in Texas right now and that's a really good bill that's before the legislature uh Senate bill 175 to get rid of the taxpayer funded lobbying groups especially the school board lobby because they're they're training the school board trustees to go up against us and fight yeah. us and we're seen as the enemy and so that that's something that uh you know a lot of people didn't even know about until that national nasby until they called us domestic terrorists and and so the texas association of school boards is under fire right now and i've been talking about them for years to de- to defund these board training groups because it keeps the local districts from actually doing making local decisions because they have cut and paste policies that roll down from the national level. And you see the same thing in every school district and they're supposed to be independent school districts and they're not. And that that is just another further wedge between the parents and the schools treating us like we're are the enemies and they, they lobby against us and they lawyer up against us and just parents trying to get services for special needs children. They will lawyer up. They use our tax dollars against us when we're just trying to advocate for our kids and get services that they are due under the law.
2: Well, you know, you, you um, talk about being domestic terrorists that happened in Tucson uh, back when all the schools were being closed And a lot of the uh, parents were going to these school board meetings and saying, this is ridiculous. Why are you shutting down the schools? There's absolutely no reason for this. And then they were uh, labeled as domestic terrorists and actually uh, sheriff deputies and uh, uh, Tucson police were brought into the schools to escort these people out. Now, as it turns out, they were absolutely right. There was no reason. To have young people uh, taken out of schools because their chances of uh, dying or even transmitting COVID were such a small percentage that it was like, you know, way less than common flu. But Mm -hmm. that's how they created this whole dynamic of parents being domestic terrorists. Jim Jordan right now, in Congress right now, they're talking about that and mm-hmm. how the agencies have been used as a uh, uh, a mechanism to silence dissent from people. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen it in Texas. You know what I'm talking about with the domestic terrorism. I think you've even, haven't you even faced a little of, of that yourself or at least been accused of it?
3: Oh yeah. I get accused of all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's, that was the good thing that came out of the whole school board race. As I learned that (laughs) sticks and stones may. may break my bones, but words won't hurt me. I, you know, I've learned to just kind of roll it off, let, let it roll off. It doesn't matter anymore. And they're going to, they can say whatever they want to say, but I'm still here trying to get people to, to see what we need to do to, to get kids the best kind of education that they can get. And we're paying for it. So we might as well uh, do it right. You know, and do it mm-hmm. and, and not have to remediate too. I think that's something that but we're not doing it well. And so it's having to be remediated. The children are having to be remediated once they go to the community college or the four-year college. I mean, that's atrocious. It's, it's, it's unacceptable and education is where the bulk of our budget comes from. I mean, I want to say it's like 60 something percent of our budget Mm -hmm. in Texas goes to education and we're it's, it's set up to fail. I think that's the other important thing is that this is broken on purpose. And, um, and I think it was broken a long time ago and they're just systematically leading us to where we're going now. And I, and some of it's predictive programming, some of it's disaster, you know, capitalism, some of it is, uh it almost feels like a, a demonic sort of energy that has just moved through the ages. And, uh, so it's, because that's the only way you can make sense of what was what was um, brought in so long ago. I mean, a lot of the, the things that Patrick Wood talks about with technocracy, I mean, that was established in the 30s and 40s with the science, uh, the scientists and, and the technocrats. So they really did want to rule over the elected bodies. They wanted to be the authority. And looking at what happened with the pandemic, You know, trust the science, they say. And there's a lot of talk about the science of reading right now. They take the reading wars, which have been manufactured on purpose to bring in more technology. The science of reading is not a real thing. But the issues with reading, that's real. The fallout of poor reading strategies, that's real. But their solution is always technology. And so they're using the reading wars to bring in that Amplify learning and other software programs to to get more kids on devices and you use the devices more. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, you mentioned technocracy and, um, people don't realize technocracy and futurists are, uh, over a century old right now because, uh, much of this stuff started around 1900. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was what was uh, called futurists. And you mentioned, uh, Buckminster uh, Fuller and, uh, or Fuller, Buckminster Fuller, and uh, there were a lot of others. Or H.G. Wells and people that went back, even people like Jules Verne, were futurists, uh, going clear back to the 1850s. This is an idea that technology can replace. Uh, well, frankly, God, and yep. and so when you say this is a battle between good and evil. This goes beyond uh, just normal uh, dysfunction. This is a battle between good and evil. And I think you're absolutely Mm -hmm. spot on with that, because if you look at people like Yuval Noah Harari talking about how man is God, and uh, the the God that we refer to is uh, non-existent and the God that he refers to as man and our ability to do all things. I mean, this, it couldn't be any more satanic than that. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, I mean, that. Go the, ahead. With the,
3: well, just the, what the enemy proposes is always a counterfeit version of what God creates yeah. or created. So yeah, there, that's, I think that this, and I don't know if those are just actors, you know, tr- to distract us, the no uh, Noah Harari or Yvonne, Evol- whatever. I don't know. I can't remember his name. But yeah, I don't know if those are just um, sort of mo- like movie characters. They're playing a role like Klaus Schwab, but. I I will say that there is, I mean, I know that that's real, that they are trying to usher in this synthetic biology. And you see this uh, booming biotech industry in Dallas and that's engineered life. And that is uh, a, a means by which some will use it to play God and extend life. And you see that with the transhumanism movement. Uh, But yeah, it's, um, I don't know if those things too are like with HG Wells, was he on the inside and was given the blueprint in order to prime us and prep us for this, like predictive programming, or was that just his imagination I don't know. I, I follow. Um, I have a friend, Allison McDowell, and I mentioned her during my presentation. She has the blog called Wrench in the Gears, and she's traced all these things back to, like you mentioned, the 1900s, and and these. Uh, if you look at eugenics, and if you look at cybernetics. These things, they've been able to do these things for a long time. And what Alana Freeland talks about is the dual use and the military's role. And the military has had a huge role. The Department of Defense has had a huge role in the technology and the gaming, which we're now seeing in education. So a lot of things that start there end up in the classroom or end up in you know commercial and uh, use, you know, just average citizen can can um, access it so yeah that dual use is a uh, is an interesting thing because we're told it's for this but it's really for this. So yeah, we're entering into strange times, and I, I think um, I mean, know I'm a total hypocrite because I'm on you know my phone way too much, and I am on this you know Zoom virtual <laughs> interview. Right. Right. But I mean, we that we should be able to have cool technology and use it without it having and like you know I mentioned the informed consent. We need to be able to access these things, but with informed consent and know what they're doing, uh, what they're really doing, rather than what they you know, tell us in these, these fake privacy statements that they make that really have no, or even like with the FERPA laws, with our Family Education Rights and Privacy Act, there's no teeth in those. And so they're sharing and selling and harvesting massive amounts of data on our children for the purpose of tracking them womb to tomb, cradle to career. And that's a problem. Parents should be... Um, Informed on what they're really doing with it, and I think we need enforcement in the laws that say that they're not supposed to do it. Then, then what? When they do it, they need more than just their hand slapped, like they did with our TEA commissioner here in Texas.
2: Well, we've got a Pandora's box. There's no question about it, and it has been opened. But uh, at the same time, you're mm-hmm. right. Uh, they use the technology. If, if we could use this technology in all positive ways without having to worry about all the ulterior motives that are out there, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't argue a, a bit against uh, using this as long as you knew that yeah. the alternatives were there so that it was a choice rather than a forced program. But so much of this, you mentioned the military industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of the technology now that our kids, our kids are actually being raised to be gamers uh, so that they can be part of the new military where all these wars that they fight will be done with machines. And all they'll do is be really good at gaming with the machines that will kill everybody. When you get to the point where life is that simple and that, removed, death is removed from life, then you've got a real serious problem. You're then at that point, you're really creating a culture of psychopaths.
3: Oh, totally. And uh, with, that's why I wrote that article about esports is because what that emerged during the pandemic as the fastest growing sports industry or uh, sports mm-hmm. in the industry or whatever, but, um, yeah the gaming and it's uh, it's creating so they have these virtual teams and it's not just the person you know it's not just video games there's so much more to it and that they're learning the players and how they interact and it became a very social thing so a child who's not physically active and not athletic the parent thinks oh gosh this is great now they've got friends and you know wherever but these are virtual friendships and it's not the same and the children are physically a wreck and you know the the obesity and the child um diabetes and all that is is rampant and these esports are a uh, a real problem yeah so i i i think um, parents i caution parents like don't don't get don't fuel that don't encourage that Uh, it's and i know socially it's so hard when you have a child who doesn't fit in socially to figure out how to to get them connected to other children like them. And the, but the gaming is a major trap.
2: Mm-hmm. It is, And one of the, um, one of the things that I see, my, my own son does this stuff because they've got like uh virtual NFL uh, Oh yeah. That they <laughs> play with and all this crap. And, and he's 50, you know, he's 50 years old. He ought to know better. But uh, anyway, there's a bunch of these guys that are doing this stuff. And, you know, yeah, they make everything a game to make it attractive so that they can get people to buy off on uh, some of this new technology. And once they do, then they can go for the kids.
3: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, um, some of the biggest drivers in the cryptocurrency space, those are the heads of the sports teams and they will use the way that they get people into it is they'll give them perks as their major sports fans. And so like the Dallas Cowboys, so Jerry Jones is a big driver of crypto and so is uh, Mark Cuban of the Mavericks major Bitcoin and crypto pushers. And then, so they'll get the, eventually we'll have, you know, all ticket sales and all the memorabilia and all the swag and all of that stuff will be purchased through virtual currency. And you'll, you'll get those who are so highly addicted to sports and they will do whatever because they're so addicted. And that's a great, it's another tool to get us to adopt this new, um, global currency and this this tokenized economy that is coming through not just the schools, but also through sports and leisure and uh, entertainment. You see a lot of virtual museums and these immersive um uh, You know, like you can go see Van Gogh, but it's not just Van Gogh's painting. You're immersed in this virtual reality, augmented reality, and that's the art museum of the future. Unfortunately, I refuse to buy tickets to things like that because I want to be, you know, it to be more tactile. And, you know, I love that I'm in this museum right now because people are coming and touring. And I don't know if you can see, like, there's, all kinds of uh, historical stuff here that people are mm-hmm. walking around. That's why you keep seeing strangers behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I said, is there a private room in the Capitol for uh, the public? And they were like, no, ma'am. Uh, sorry. No, we don't have that. So I said, okay. Well, I'm going to go, go, to, the go to the museum. I'm going go to go, the to, the go to the
2: museum. Nobody goes to the museum. Yeah. Yeah,
3: exactly. It really funny. was empty for a while. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, All right. I know that uh, Alex is going to be coming on here shortly, but I want to ask you, you you mentioned a number of different bills. Are there any bills that are uh, coming forward in uh, Texas legislature that you specifically want to talk about that we haven't yet?
3: Um, No. So I mentioned House Bill 1605, and then there's Senate Bill, uh, I think it's Forty-five, sixty-five, which is the sister or the companion bill of that one. Um, there are, I know. Uh, gosh, I wish I had the number of the one that's to get rid of technology because there are two of those. I can't remember the numbers on those, so sorry about that. But yeah, we we they're they're to get the the little kids off the devices. We're really praying that that one passes. Those one of those passes.
2: Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got um, David Morgan, my friend David Morgan contacted me last night, and uh, in Montana, we've got a bill that's uh, sailing through the Senate, and uh, hopefully we're going to able to stop it in the House. I know mm-hmm. the governor, Ian Forte, would sign on to it, mm-hmm. and it's authorizing central bank digital currencies in the state of Montana. Mm -hmm. We would be one of the first states in the country to sign on to one of the stupidest ideas in, in one of the most uh, draconian ideas that you could possibly do. And uh, David said, is this possible? Montana, I thought you were a conservative state and my comment back is no, uh we're supposed to be but uh, every time one of these bills comes around we get as many Republicans supporting these crazy things in fact sometimes more Republicans and the Democrats are the ones that are fighting against
3: it. I know. This is exactly what I'm seeing here. And yeah, we've got uh several crypto bills in there. Our governor is um, is dry he wants to be the leader in, in um blockchain and cryptocurrency in Texas and it's it's conservative legislators who have uh who have the two blockchain bills passed in the last session and there are more this session. Uh I'm putting an article in the comments here from these are the bills, House Bill Let's see, Missouri House Bill 1165, Oklahoma House Bill 2776, Texas Senate Bill 2075, and Tennessee Senate Bill 479 with the companion bill HB 640. And there, uh, this is Tom Renz, and he has a Substack article. Uh, about warning about the crypto coming, the CDBC coming through these bills and establishing uh, the framework or the ground uh, so that they can be pushing this digital currency. And the, the that's the thing, I, you know, blockchain is the technology of, of choice. IBM Hyperledger Fabric to bring in the vaccine passports and the medical. Um, this, you know, it's kind of the bio, biosecurity state where you will have to show your health and, and whatever in order to to travel and do those things. If we have another pandemic, I know that was what they used for the green pass in uh, I think it was Israel. So we don't want that. And all it does, it's not that difficult for them to piece all of those things together for your life locker and your your digital passport. Yeah. Well, in, the, and, in the virtual yeah
2: every time we do this we create a situation that uh that locks us further into this process that we're we're not going to be able to get out of after mm. a certain point I mean that's exactly what they're doing they grease the wheels just enough to keep everybody involved and, and suck us into this system that uh it's like, it's like the old uh Uncle Remus story about the tar baby, Uh, you know, once you're, uh, once you're stuck, you're stuck Mm -hmm. and it's awfully hard to get back out. Uh, That's right. Well, uh, uh, Lynn, if you had something that you would really, really like uh, our audience to take away from this whole discussion, uh, what would that be?
3: Uh, Well, I think most importantly, to return to a classical model, and all states can do this where they push back on federal intrusion. There should be no federal bills that have anything to do with education. In fact, we need to end the Department of Education, and Trump said he would do that, and he actually expanded it with Betsy DeVos. So those were all empty platitudes. Absolutely end the federal Department of Education, and I don't even think we need a state Department of Education because it's just a, a way for them to steer contracts to vendors and public-private partnerships, and just more more fraud, waste, and abuse. So that that's probably the most important thing. Politics is local; uh, the advocacy is local, and you push from the ground up, and then just watch, uh, you know, the results.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and get involved, obviously get involved yep. Alex I see you're on my friend um Hi, Alex. we introduced you a little bit earlier but uh I, I introduced you as my uh my newest stepson uh <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway um, that's an honor uh, thank you Dan
2: <laughs> well thank you um uh, I I wanted you to get a chance to uh, meet and visit a little bit with Lynn because she, she is uh so active in Texas. And of course, Texas, I think, may be the most important state in the country legislatively right now because it has uh like Florida, it has a really, really good chance to start pushing back. But at the same time, there's uh, an element in Texas that's uh you know completely off the tracks. And uh alex maybe if you wouldn't mind talk a little bit about uh the homeschooling movement and how the whole covid lockdown and all that helped kind of move that forward and then uh i'd love to have you and lynn kind of converse back and forth a
0: little bit here all right, well thank you dan and thank you lynn for for all the important work that you do it's a pleasure to be on here with you and honor uh, so yeah, homeschooling just absolutely exploded. It, and it's been exploding. I mean, it, it has been on like a straight upwards trajectory going back to even the 1970s before homeschooling was even officially re-legalized, I guess. So whoever thought we'd have to ask the government for permission to educate our own children, how loony is that? Uh, But it's been on a steady upward climb. And then COVID hit and it just exploded. Um, You know, according to the uh, numbers put out by the U.S. Census Bureau, the number of homeschooling families more than doubled during that time. Uh, Among black Americans, it went from about three percent of families with school aged children to 16 percent, by far the biggest growth uh, in some states. We had uh, almost a third of, of children being homeschooled during COVID. So, and this is legitimate homeschooling. They actually uh, controlled for, you know, they, they made sure that parents weren't saying they were homeschooling when they were actually doing government school at home with a government issued laptop. Right. That's not homeschooling at all. Uh, so we saw a huge surge. Uh, unfortunately, when uh, the government brainwashed, came, I mean, the public schools opened back up um you know some of those homeschoolers moved back into the government schools which was unfortunate but what we saw with the trend was it went up 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 it went down a little bit but it still ended up at a much higher point than it was before covid uh the best estimates and nobody has exact numbers a lot of states don't track these things but the best estimates say that millions of families have fled the government school system over the last 3 years um and i think those trends are going to continue uh, now, in my view, the, the biggest threat is that the government, uh, and in many cases, well-meaning people, uh, you know, people who I agree with on 99% of stuff, uh, are going to end up snatching uh, victory from the jaws of defeat, or is it snatching victory, defeat from the jaws of victory uh, by <laughs> getting the homeschoolers trapped back in the government system through the use of government money. Uh, just yesterday, uh, my governor here, Ron DeSantis, who yeah, I think pretty highly of, um, and and I talked to him about this. Uh, we we dealt with his chief of staff. We we dealt with his people trying to get this bill fixed. A lot of the worst elements were taken out, but the overall structure there, uh, you know, they're offering eight thousand dollars a year per child. Uh, you know that means for my family, I could get forty thousand dollars a year. Uh, my homeschool costs maybe a couple thousand dollars a year, uh, and you know I'm not going to take government money. Uh, I think that's very dangerous. But the temptation is going to be there, even for a lot of people who know better. And what happens when you take this government money is automatically you're roped into annual government testing. These tests are, are nationally normed, so they're going to be aligned with that educational atrocity known as Common Core. And uh, we all know that. Uh, testing drives the curriculum testing drives what is taught and so if you're giving homeschool families money and telling them you have to take the government tests at the end of the year what's going to happen is more and more homeschool families in fact they're not even called homeschool families under florida law anymore once they take the government money but they're going to become basically government school at home they're going to have to teach what the government wants taught to be able to perform on those tests so i know texas is dealing with this i know utah recently passed a universal school choice and the ink wasn't even dry on the governor's signature before the the Flammer um, started for government regulation. Actually, a, a big article came out in their mainstream media saying, "Oh, now that taxpayers are funding homeschoolers, we need to regulate homeschoolers. What if they teach their kids to be Nazis? Right? We can't do that at public expense." I, I figured that we at least wait a couple years <laughs> so people would kind of forget these warnings, but they didn't. They're they're already out of the gate demanding regulation, uh, and so I think that's the real big risk now, Dan. I think right now we're on a trajectory where the government school system will collapse on its own um, if we just do nothing at this point. I mean, the momentum is is in our sales. We're doing really good here. And now we're about to screw it all up by getting the government involved in our homeschools and our Christian schools. So I'll I'll stop blabbering there. Um, But, you know, I'm obviously very passionate about this. I obviously have nothing but love for the well-intentioned people promoting this idea. I just think uh, we're walking right into a trap. and, And I would pray and urge people to recognize that you know, the Bible didn't put the responsibility for the education of our children on the government or our neighbors. In fact, my Bible says thou shalt not steal. And there's no, you know, asterisk there that, well, if you need to educate your kids and you have to steal from your neighbor, you know, no, just, you know, they're, they're my kids. God entrusted them to me. I'm responsible for feeding them, clothing them, disciplining them and educating them. And that needs to be the, the norm, the understanding among Americans and especially among Christians. So I'll leave it there. And Lynn, I'm sure has some comments. Well, muted, like-
2: I'm, I'm going to let her uh, visit with you a little bit uh, about this, but she was talking about the trap of all this technology as, as in education, how that's really taking us away from the classical liberal education that we had 50 years ago. And now we've got this, this uh, substitute, which is really education just for workplace training. That's really what it's all about, uh, Lynn. Please uh, visit back and forth with uh, Alex because I, I it's so important that you guys get uh, get to know each other and start working together.
3: Yeah, I I really appreciate the work he does, uh, and something you said about just the uh, with the school choice narrative and the um, the government with the testing. So they're wanting to put the controls on the homeschoolers and we can't have them, you know, teaching what they want. And we had a, there was a press conference that our governor had in July, August, I think it was. And somebody asked him about that from the media. And he said, well, we can't have a homeschooler watching TV. And so he explicitly said there will be accountability measures, which is important phrase measure and so it is a means to tap into the homeschool parents and those kids that have been untracked, untraced, undetected, uncontrolled, you know, they're not controlled. And so that that's that is the UNESCO model, which that's with the like I said, the red meat Republicans, they don't see that. They just see I'm sick of the government schools taking my money and I want my money to follow the child into my private school. once that private school accepts that public money it becomes a public school and it will have those accountability measures. And I believe the governor, when he says that he means it, and that's not homeschool. That is not why people choose to do it. So it's a, it's a major Trojan horse. And I appreciate those like Alex who have the courage to say that because school choice has always been a litmus test. And it's been a huge problem when trying to meet with legislators. If you are not for school choice, they shut you down. And so then those who are supposedly the most conservative don't want anything to do. They don't want to know what's going on in public schools. Don't want to know what's going on yes. with, you know, this, uh, tech, the, the technology they've, they they can not hear once you say you're not for school choice. Okay.
0: So, and and Linda, you know, what, what you were talking about on the technology front too. what's happening here is not just the absorbing of the government uh, of the private schools and home schools and Christian schools into the government system. What's also happening is the transformation of the traditional public schools away from traditional public schools into kind of we're, we're moving toward a single global fascist model where there's these disgusting corporations really fronts for like Bill Gates and these other slimy, you know, fake capitalists. Uh, that want to get their tentacles in the public schools uh, and want to remove any accountability to voters through the elected school boards. Uh, and then they want to remove the freedom of home schools and Christian schools and private schools and bring them all under this model. And I'm glad you mentioned UNESCO, because this is not speculation. This is not an opinion. UNESCO put this on paper. We have their documents where they're actually telling governments, you need to start giving uh, government money to the private schools so that you can force these accountability measures on them. So you can make them obey your equity goals, which is you know your communist goals. Uh, so that you can force in the technology, so that you can force in the testing. And so under the guise of school choice, what they're really talking about here is completely obliterating genuine school choice. Right now we have school choice. In every state in the union, I can pull my children out of the government brainwash camps, and I can homeschool them. I can send them to a Christian school, a Jewish school, a parochial Catholic school. I can do whatever I want with the education of my children. And for the most part, I'm free to do that. Once the school mm-hmm. choice comes in, and, and again, we've seen this happen. Uh, I was living in Sweden when the trap door closed, and uh, they basically nationalized all the private schools. First, they got them hooked on the government money. Then they said, now you all have to teach the government curriculum. You have to do the testing. You can't have Bibles. You can't have prayer. So I've seen this happen. This is not you know hypothetical future speculation. Uh, and in fact, in the article that I just wrote for The New American on this subject— Uh, I found a study by the Government Accountability Office. It's kind of a congressional arm that that does research for them. And what they found is that basically all of the voucher programs that were already in existence back in 2016 impose regulations and requirements on private schools. So uh, this is an effort to create a fascist educational model, where the profits and and the control will go to people like Bill Gates, and the bill will go to the taxpayers, and the freedom will be completely obliterated. It's it's really the worst of all worlds, and uh, you know it's so sad that so many really well-meaning Republicans, and, you know, nobody can accuse me of defending the public schools. I like I've literally made it my life's mission for the last ten years to smash this horrific system. Um, And so, you know, nobody can say, well, you're an apologist for the schools or you're an apologist for the teachers unions. I'm absolutely not. Uh, Mm -hmm. I call them a cancer. I I compare them to burning buildings. You'd be crazy to leave your children in there. (laughs) Um, But, you know, why would we want to set our homeschool on fire? Why would we want to set the Christian schools on fire under the guise of rescuing the children from the burning building? It makes no sense. Um, And and unfortunately, you know, I I, I don't want to say I told you so three years down the line, but if we don't get this to stop, that's exactly what's going to happen is uh, people like Lynn and me and others who are sounding the alarm are going to be saying I told you so as our kids are all sucked into this monstrous system.
3: That's true. And there are people like Lynn Taylor and Anita Hogue, and they've been sounding the alarms for for a long time about Title I portability, every child having an individual education plan, and they will... picture an umbrella that will cover all children, public, private, charter, virtual, you name it, it will be, they will be engulfed into this system. And Chip Roy, that's, um, he's, uh, he has introduced HR 1770, the support children having open opportunities for learning. They call it the School Act, S-C-H-O-O-L Act. And uh, that has federal funds following the students to put the parents back in charge, he says, parent empowerment, <laughs> but it's a total trap. And sadly, people will take the bait.
2: Mm-hmm. They will. Well, I hate to say it, but we're uh, just about out of time. Alex, uh, um, I'll tell you, Lynn was a fantastic guest on this. And all I can say is that uh, I, I will, uh, if with your permission, I'll share your information Uh, with each other so that uh, you can get in touch and talk about how you can kind of help each other in this process. Because the reality is we're we're, uh, right now facing a crisis in our children because so many of our children are falling for this trap and the parents are falling even worse than the children are. And it's our responsibility to stop this craziness.
0: Yep, absolutely, Dan. I would appreciate it if you'd uh, share my contact information with Lynn. Lynn, I'd love to get you on uh, some of my talk programs and uh, you know, we can explore the the threat of this techno tyranny and the, uh, the school choice and all of that. So uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you, Dan, for having us on. Always an honor and a pleasure and God bless you all.
2: Well, well thank you, too. Alex. And incidentally, I think Lynn might be a really, really good uh, uh, speaker at one of our upcoming Red Pills. I, I, I would love so to see her. Uh, come and speak at one of our events. With that, I'll say thank you folks for joining us, for connecting the dots. Lynn, Alex, thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, It was a fantastic discussion, and I will be in touch uh, on some other uh, issues as well. So thank you all.